If you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in the third chapter tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 if we get that far. But uh, I have entitled uh, this evening's message, Who's in the House? Now, I know Brother Glenn has already alluded to that I tell stories about my grandchildren. Last week, I didn't mention my grandchildren. I am tonight. (laughs) One of my favorite. I know it's hard to believe. Hey, when you got the best grandchildren, you just can't help it, right? I started thinking about that. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus, and here again, I'm speculating and you can get in trouble doing that, but you know, uh, give me liberty to do so. But I, I just think that, you know, uh, God the Father and, of course, uh, the Son is sitting there at the right hand and then He has an angelic host. Uh, I don't know, but I think there's conversations going on in heaven. And uh, I just can't help but believe that when He looks down upon us uh, and He sees us, those of us who've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're trophies of grace. And, and I believe that when he looks down at his children, he can't help but say, there's my kids. Now sometimes, as we as adults, sometimes our children don't act like we uh, want them to, but they're still our kids. Aren't you glad that we have a Heavenly Father, even when you mess up and when you're not doing what you ought to be doing, you're still His child and He still loves you. Now I don't know about you, but that kind of gets me a little stirred up. Because there's nowhere else that you're going to get that. When you go to work and if you don't perform well, uh, you're, you're going to get fired, right? Uh, when you're having uh, relationships, and we know relationships bust up each and every day. Why? Because we just, uh, one of the parties or both of the parties have messed up. But when it comes to the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even when you mess up, and we heard it uh, done, uh, Miss Bridget, who I call our Reba McIntyre of the gospel music uh, there, that when she sang that song, isn't it wonderful to know that when we still mess up, we can still go to a Heavenly Father who loves us and will restore us. Now all that's free of charge. It has nothing to do. But going back to my grandchildren. <laughs> Just about every morning we're taking Elijah to school in Mount Juliet. Go still. Uh, it's a school, daycare, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think I've already mentioned that. Uh, we're, we're going back to the oldies. And we're, we've pulled out some Carmen. And one of the songs that he sings is, Who's in the House? The boys love that song. Every morning as we're going down I-40, Elijah, who's sitting in the back, will say, I want to hear that house song. And Ezekiel will go, House, house, Ezra. Ezra's the coolest one of the bunch because uh, Ezekiel, he's he's going, man, when the music starts going, it's kind of a rap, kind of a song. And uh, and, and and Elijah's, he's kind of getting with it. Here's Ezra. Ezra's the cool one of the He just sits back in his car seat and he goes, (laughs) And then he'll say, House, house. And in that song, it says, Who's in the house? Who's in the house? And then it says, Jesus is in the house. I don't know about you, but I like going in and visiting people in their houses. 
But I like the, the, be, the, the best place, the best house I like to visit is the house of God because Jesus is in the house. Aren't you glad when Jesus is in the house? And that's what we're going to look at uh, this afternoon, this evening, whatever the time. That solar eclipse has messed me up. I don't know where, uh, where, what we've got uh, going. I don't know if we're day or night or what it is. But if you have your Bibles, we're in verse number 1. The first thing that we're going to see is that when we try to answer the question, who's in the house, we have to consider some things. Notice in verse number 1. He says, wherefore, holy brethren. Now, I find it interesting that he's referred to the brethren as holy. But that should not be something that catches us by surprise. Because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are to be holy as He is holy. We are holy brethren. But that word holy also means to be set apart. We should be different. There should be no guessing where we stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, there should be a, a distinction. There should be a, a very clear indication that we're not like those of the world. We're to be holy, set apart. But notice, we're set apart, but we, and we're separated, and we're separated from our sin, but we're also separated unto holiness. But because we're separated does not mean that we're isolated. Because Jesus said it this way. Jesus says that you're not of the world, but I'm going to leave you in the world so you can share the gospel and you can tell others what someone told you that you don't have to live like you used to live and that you can also understand that you can spend eternity in a place called heaven where you'll be worshiping Him forever and ever. And so here, the things that we need to consider if we're looking at who's in the house, House, we need to be holy brethren. Now our pastor has alluded to this. He's been preaching uh, on that uh, for 28 years since he's been here. He's been helping us, instructing us, challenging us, and even asking for conviction to come upon us to be holy, to live differently, to live where people will take notice. They might not agree with what we're doing. They may mock what we're doing, but they will know one thing, we're different. And so we are to be holy brethren. And then he goes on, he says, and we're partakers of the heavenly calling. We have a calling on our life. Amen. The Lord Jesus called on you. The Lord Jesus brought conviction upon you. He started to tug at your heartstring. He, he wanted uh, and He personally gave you an invitation. We see through the Bible, and we preached on this before, of invitations in the Bible. And we'll see that every time that Jesus called, He always made it public. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the reason why when we give an invitation, we do it publicly. Because we come to understand that if Jesus Christ has done something in your life, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. 
You ought to let everybody know that you're identifying with Jesus Christ. Now, there's other churches that have quit doing public invitations. But I'm telling you, and I believe I can speak for our pastor as well, as long as we're here, we're always going to give a public invitation for someone to come know Jesus Christ in a personal way. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power unto salvation. Now, you can go ahead and you can buy into all that stuff. We don't want people on guilt trips. We don't want to embarrass people. But it is interesting. Jesus called, he called publicly. And so we received a calling from heaven. Then he says, consider, consider the apostle. Now, the apostle that he's talking about is not the apostles that you're thinking about. The apostle that he's making reference to here is... Moses, because we're going to see a little bit later on, he's talking about Moses. Now, understand the word usage here. Apostle means one who's been sent out. Moses had a calling from God. He was, uh, Moses was called to leave the people out of bondage into the promised land. And so he goes on, then he says, and makes reference to the high priest, of our profession. Now, who's the high priest? The Lord Jesus is our high priest. And we've already talked about this uh, because uh, we understand that he's greater than any high priest. See, this high priest, the Lord Jesus, was not only that he went in and he gave atonement for his sins. Now, the high priest that they're making reference to in the Old Testament, only that priest could go in and the, the, the atonement that he gave would, could only cover their sins. But our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our greatest high priest, that the sin offering that he gave did not just cover sin, it removed sin. He took our sins. He took our penalty. He took our pain. He took our death. He's a great high priest. And so he says, consider these things. Now, also, we say that before we started, it says uh, that uh, he says, wherefore. Sometimes you'll see that word, therefore. That's always indication that there was something that had been said previously that you need to be reminded of. And here we see that in verse number one here in Hebrews as well. We had to consider, what are we considering? We're considering that the writer of Hebrews is giving evidence, if you will, that Jesus is just better. Now, we've preached a couple of sermons upon that. We understood uh, that He is uh, greater than the angels. Remember, there were some uh, back in that day that had a very high esteem for the angels. But now, He starts to bring Moses into the picture because Moses also was very esteemed. Everybody looked into Moses Moses is the one that brought them out of bondage. Moses is the one who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses is the one that the law was given to. Not only that, that when we see that phrase uh, where it makes reference to the law, a lot of times it will be uh, called the law of Moses. So Moses was very recognizable. Uh, matter of fact, those who believed uh, and were uh, almost to the point of worshiping angels, they believed that Moses was even greater than the angels. Moses carried a, a lot of clout, if you will, back in that day. 
And so now he says, and he's, and he's trying to prove the point home. Moses, I may remind you, is also the one who met with God. The Bible says that when he came down with the law, it said his face shone. It showed that he'd been with Jesus. My dear friend, I want you to know that, and we've had a number of those, that a lady who's carrying child, we've said this many times over, they just glow. And they do have a glow about them. Now, they don't think they have a glow. <laughs> they, they think, I just hurry up and just get this child delivered and let's move on. But don't they have just, it's just something about their face that kind of brightens up. But here, the Bible says, talking about Moses. Now, when Moses had a face-to-face, and when he came down off that mountain, everybody knew without him opening one word, knew that he'd been with God. I started thinking about that. Shouldn't the lost world, and we don't even have to speak. Now, I'm not saying you never engage in conversation. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, you can just tell when somebody's been with the Lord. You can, you can just tell when somebody's spending time with the Lord. There's something about their countenance. There's something about that radiates from them. Shouldn't it be true of all of us who have trusted Jesus Christ that we ought to have by showing our, our countenance that that person's been with the Lord. So, but he goes on and, and we see that he uh, not only says some things about to consider, but moves on to verse number two. And he says, uh, who was faithful? Uh, to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all of his house. Seven times in these first six verses, the word house is used. Seven times. Now, I don't want to uh, get out there because you can kind of get weird with numbers and all of that, but there are some numbers that uh, just automatically uh, give you uh, some indication of things, or should. The number seven is a number of completion. I started thinking about that. Isn't it interesting that in the first six verses of Hebrews here where he talks about the house, he uses that term seven times. Now here again, this is Mike's spiritual imagination, but could it be that this is not an accident that that word house is used seven times? Because I believe that when we look and try to answer who's in the house, the Lord Jesus wants us to build our house complete. He doesn't want us to leave anything out. Now, understand that you can build the greatest houses, and we understand that uh, Nashville and uh, Lebanon, Mount Juliet, it's a housing boom. I mean, they're putting up houses left and right. And you can have the most beautiful building. You can have the most beautiful house on the outside. But just because it's beautiful on the outside does not make it a home. It's what you put in it that makes it a home. Now, stay with me here. 
when we're building our spiritual house, if you will, we can go ahead and we can have the, uh, the, 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 the wonderful outside. We can dress right. We can uh, do all kinds of things outwardly. But we do not a home. A home is where someone feels comfortable in. I don't know about you, but as I'm building my spiritual house, I want to build it in such a way that the Lord Jesus feels comfortable in it. Now, here again, um, I know uh, you just got a lot of time on your hands. But I'm sitting back and I'm thinking... You know, when you come to a home, uh, you, you can kind of uh, see now, if you come to my house, you're going to trip over toys and uh, you're going to trip over the dog and uh, you're going to, you know, there might be some laundry hanging around there, there and yonder. And, and of course, my family would tell you it just drives me bananas that everything's un- unorganized and looks out of place. And uh, here's what I hear at my house quite often. But Daddy or Mike... We live in our house. I said, what's that have to do with everything being so messy? We live in our house. But here's what I'm trying to say is, I want to build my spiritual house in such a way that when the Lord Jesus comes in, I don't have to worry about cleaning up and hiding. I want to be able to say, come on in, Jesus. You're more than welcome in my house. And he sits down in that recliner that's reserved for me. But that day, I'm not going to argue over that. I'm going to say, Jesus, is anything I can get you? He's going to sit back in that recliner. And I don't have to worry about flipping off the TV channels that was on previously. He'll go ahead and he'll be quite comfortable watching whatever I was watching. It isn't going to be pretty cool that when Jesus comes to your house, he sits up on your recliner and he feels right at home. And here we see Jesus is the builder of our house. As we continue to go on, not only do we need to consider, but look at the contrast that he's giving. We've already talked about uh, that uh, he's given a contrast between Moses and Jesus. Look in verse number 3. He says, but this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Talking about Jesus. See, Moses was very well recognized. Moses is identified with the law. Moses, though, was a servant. Jesus is the master. And, and so he says, he, Jesus received, should receive more praise and more glory than Moses, even though Moses was in high esteem. He's still a servant. Notice also Moses identified with the law. What did the law do? The law only revealed their sin. Jesus came to redeem. Isn't that good? Now, what we also see is the contrast goes on. He says, And Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. Now, we need to understand Moses. When you look at Moses, Moses was given the pattern for the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is where God's presence was there. 
So Moses got this pattern and Moses gave out and he instructed those. They built a tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a temporary structure. There would be times when they would get everything and they would have to move. It was temporary. But the pattern was given to Moses. That same pattern was also used when God... Now, hang on here. When God moved from the tabernacle, He now moves into the first temple, Solomon's temple. Now, after Solomon's temple, He moved to Ezra. Then He moved from Ezra temple into the temple that Herod built. But then something else happened. We see that he no longer resides in the temple because there's no temple. You go to Jerusalem today, you go to the Temple Mount, there is no temple, there's only a mosque. What are we trying to say? We're trying to see here in the Old Testament as we see that the Lord moves into His house. The tabernacle was His house. The temple was His house. But He's no longer in those dwellings now. Now He has another home, a place called heaven. But then He moved into another house... In John chapter 1, verse number 13 says uh, that, that, uh, and goes into verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now when you see Jesus, you see God. And now you see that Jesus has a house. He is the house. The Bible says God in Him. And so as Jesus was walking around here, we see that was His dwelling now. But then we understand that when He went to the cross, He had to move out of that house Because when Jesus was dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins, and the sins of the world came upon Him, the Bible says Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's He saying? God the Father could no longer look upon His Son because holiness does not cohabitate with unholiness. Okay, you got this? So here we go. The tabernacle was a shadow of a better house to come. Then we see the temple, a shadow of a better house to come. Jesus, as He was walking around and God was in Him, we see that God had to move out. But here, oh, this is where it gets good now. Now we understand that when you called upon the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says He moved in and now He has a new house and it's you. The Bible says we're a temple. God dwelling in us. And sometimes we've lost sight of this. We've lost sight of this when we have God's Word and God's Word and we understand and we say we believe it. And where He says that it's a work of faith and that by faith we come to know Jesus Christ. And then He starts to tell us and He starts to speak to us and He starts to have communion with us. And He says, this is what I want to do for you. And then we start to back up on Him. 
We do. Too many churches have died on the vine because they really didn't believe what God said when He said, if you go in my name, I'll supply everything that you need. Let me tell you, your house where you physically live might be like mine. It might be a mess. But the Bible says this house that we have, this holy of holies, if you will, that we have, where Jesus has set up residence in us, we may be a mess, but inside it's good because He's the one that lives in us. But He wants us to keep our house clean. Matter of fact, I'm going to start using that around my house. When I have to come in and they start fussing and say, well, you think everything ought to be clean and neat. Well, Jesus does. Now, I understand it's we're talking about two different things here. But hey, y'all help me, okay? I'm trying to use every power leverage I can to get my family on board that we need to keep a clean house. But spiritually speaking, that's exactly what we ought to be doing. So we don't like to talk about our dirty houses, do we? That's the reason why when somebody comes unexpectedly, we pretend that we're not home. (laughs) See, every one of you have done that. You have. Was you expecting somebody? No. Was you expecting nobody? Shh, turn the TV down. (laughs) I know what you do. Why? Why? Because things were messy. But listen, my dear friend. Jesus, when He comes, He already knows that your house is in a mess. That's the reason why we meet here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights. That's the reason why Sunday school. Because I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can to keep my house in order and clean. And here's the first thing that we'll do when we have problems coming into our families, when things are not going right, what do we want to do? We want to go ahead and get out of the house of God. We don't want to, we don't want to clean our messes up. I've talked to a number of people. They'll say, preacher, I know what I ought to do. Oh, well, why don't you do it? Well, here's the, here's, this is just Mike's take on it, Okay. The reason why we're not doing it is because we really don't want to do it and we're pretty comfortable with a messy house. That's the bottom line. We'll start justifying our messy houses. The, the lost world, they don't, they'll, they'll, they'll do everything they can to, to soften the blow, if you will. And now it's crept into the church. Our pastor alluded to it today that you don't hear a whole lot about holiness anymore. You don't hear about, you know, about a preacher preaching against the use of alcohol. Why? Because we have messy houses. And we want our house to stay messy. And nobody's going to tell me how to keep my house clean. I've heard that one at my house too. I'm just telling you. But that's exactly what we've done. And why have we done that? It's because we have forgot who built the house. 
The Lord Jesus has built the house. Now what you put in it is your choice. How do you, what do you mean he's built the house? Well, the Bible tells us, and I believe it. He says, before you were formed in the womb, God had a purpose and plan for your life. Amen. See, we believe that God is the creator of life. That's the reason why you've heard it many times here that abortion is flat out wrong. It is murdering little houses. It's murdering innocent. They didn't have a choice in the matter, but because we're parading around and the women are saying, it's my body, it's my choice, they don't understand what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says it's not their body, it's not their choice. God is creator God. He's not going to relinquish that title to anyone. And by the way, not only can He create, but He also can take away. God is the builder of the house. The problem is not the builder of the house. The problem is the occupants and what we're putting in our houses. So we don't want to preach about smoking. Oh, especially not that. We don't want to do drinking. We want to don't, don't talk about sex outside of marriage. That ain't y'all. That, 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 that's not the preacher's. That, that's not his place. So I'm going to go ahead and turn my Joel Osteen tapes on and listen to that where everybody's okay and we're all just going to grow hands and, and hug on each other and sing Kumbaya and then we'll just go all to go to hell together. I'm, I'm, I'm not true. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not upset with anybody. I have no beef with Joel Osteen. But I just think that he's missed some wonderful opportunities to make it real plain that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I think he's missed the boat where doesn't give a public invitation. Why don't we do that? Because we have too many dirty houses. And we don't want to upset the dirty houses. Because they can cause you problems. And they can cause you problems. But here, he goes on. And then as he's giving the contrast, and he's talking about the builder of the house. Look at verse number 6. And then he says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. I like that word confidence. See, when you're building your house and when you're building it the right way, and when you're the corn, your chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've laid the right foundation, which is the Word of God... As you're building your spiritual house, we should have confidence in the one who's built the house. See, here's our problem. We want to be the builder of our house. We don't want nobody to tell us how to do it. We don't want anybody to go and say, well, this, here's your instructions. This is your blueprint. Now, men especially, uh, we have problems with instructions. And all the women said, 
Now, before you guys pile up on me, they're gonna get, I'm going to get a shot at them here in just a minute. But I don't like... I really have a hard time with someone telling me how to do something. But because I cannot see well when I have instructions, I have to get somebody to read them for me. It's usually my wife. I'm really having a hard time with it. She says, this is how you do it. And I said, no, it can't be. She says, it's, it's what the instruction. And the, the, that's the instruction say right there. And I said, I can't see it, Donna. And, and so... So you, you, you see, some of y'all are just going to be sneaking around my house, hoping that I'm in a build doing something building because it's going to be a comedy hour. I'm telling you. And so I'm fussing at her, and I said, "I don't know. Nah, that's not. That, that's not what the picture shows." And then she'll say, "You can't see that picture." And I said, "Well, I don't like the instructions." She said, "Well, these instructions—that's what they say. You go by the instructions." <laughs> don't we do that? exactly how we do when we build our spiritual house. Now, we'll take the Word of God and the things that we like. Okay, 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 okay. But the things that kind of get real next to us, oh, we'll just skip that part. I've done that. Not only spiritually, but I've done it when I was trying to build some things. I said, let's just skip and go to the next. Needless to say, the product did not look anything like the picture on the box. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, that's exactly what happened to your house as well. It will look nothing like what the blueprint, the Word of God, has told you how to build your house. It's important. Details are important. And so here we have a book, the instruction book, if you will, that tells us how to build our spiritual house. And when we're building our spiritual house, we have confidence, not because we built it, but because the great builder built it for us. I have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe He knows what He's doing. I believe He knows how to instruct us to how to build a spiritual house. And then we understand that when we build the house to His specs, to His design, to His blueprint, it will last when the storms come. I was looking... I've been watching now. Uh, when we lived in Florida, the Weather Channel was the number one channel in that area. Everybody, when you live on the coast, everybody watches the Weather Channel, especially when storms are coming up. And so I'm kind of I'm 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 a, I'm a Weather Channel junkie, okay. And so I've been watching the flooding and, and all of that, and I saw the devastation, and and uh, I started thinking about this text. See, we're going to have storms that will come into our lives. We're going to have Harveys come into our lives, spiritually speaking. Your world one day, if it hasn't already, is going to be turned upside down. And sometimes you saw it coming, but many times you didn't. And you're going to go through trials and tribulations. And the reason why many 
or not being able to withstand the storms is because they didn't build their house to the specifications that the Lord Jesus has given us. We decided to build it our way. It will never, ever work. But I can have confidence that even though it may sway, even though I might lose a few shingles along the way, I might lose my structure, but I'll never lose my salvation. And what He has promised me will last and will last. And did I say will last? We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. I asked my class, how many of you this morning got up and said, I'm going to have my quiet time and you ran straight to the book of Ecclesiastes because it's such an uplifting book. In those first few chapters, we noticed that Solomon used the word vanity 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. He came to a point in his life where he looked around and life was just nothing. You didn't see any joy. You didn't see any hope. But when you study the life of Solomon, we'll know that Solomon, when he started out, he started out in the will of God. But over the course of time, he started getting away from God. And then he looks around, he says, what's the use of any of this? Folks, you will come to a point in your life that you could very well say those same words. But you will be able to keep on keeping on. Why? Because in Ecclesiastes it said Solomon was looking everything under the sun. Notice the word under. But when you look above... No matter what comes your way, you'll be able to endure it because you're not looking under the sun. You're looking at the sun, S-O-N. And He makes all the difference in the world. He makes a difference in your living and He'll make a difference in your dying. What keeps us going? knowing that we have this confidence, this blessed hope, that one day all this is going to go away, but what we have waiting for us will be there for all eternity. I don't know about you, but tonight I have confidence. I have confidence that I've done the best I could to follow the blueprint. I've been trying to build my spiritual house with the specifications that the Lord Jesus has given me. And if we continue to do that, we'll be able to withstand the storms that come into our lives. Who's in the house? Or let me rephrase it this way. Who's in your house? Who's in your house? Who's built your house? Who rules your house? It's true that we can say it about His house. When we build it and we understand He's the builder, then, then we are the church. 
And if this building goes away, we are still the church. We're a body of believers who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and who have let the Lord Jesus build our house, but not only build our house, but He's comfortable in being in our house.